suffering has brought me close to the heart of God. And one thing that I often will say, you know, there's a verse that says God is close to the brokenhearted. And if you and if you want to get close to God, go to the brokenhearted. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young with co-host Dave Donaldson, who is today out on assignment. Please keep him in prayer. Um, but we've got a fascinating podcast today just talking about challenges. Every life is full of challenges, and some are just bigger than others. They can be financial challenges, physical challenges, emotional challenges, and many of those challenges are beyond our control. How do we help someone who's been touched by a tragedy? What do we do to someone that's become vulnerable in our community? Or what if it's our personal story? What if the road you're on has not been an easy road? How does it affect your attitude? What does it do with your actions? Well, today's guest has faced huge challenges virtually all his life. And I have the privilege today of talking with a friend of mine. Steve Kramer is a walking miracle. He was born premature. He was born with cerebral palsy. The doctors didn't give much hope for him, but God didn't give up on him and put inside of him an incredible can-do attitude. And with God's help, he's gone into the media with radio and television, been a reporter. He's been in ministry as a pastor, a missionary, a motivational speaker. And I really think as we listen to Steve today, it will help us to have a new outlook on our life. We'll see God can do some amazing things when we put our life in his hands. So Steve, I want to welcome you to the Influencers Podcast. Thank you so much, my friend, for being with us today. Hey, Scott, it's an honor and privilege to be with you today. Now, just tell us, growing up with cerebral palsy, um, as a child, as an adolescent, into adulthood, just talk about that journey so people can get a little bit of your story. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was born two and a half months premature, uh, three pounds. Doctors came in, they told my parents that if I even survived the night, and it was sketchy, this was back in 1973, uh, that I would never walk or be productive. And uh, it was so sketchy that they actually tied a string around one of my toes and pulled on it to keep me breathing. So I always like to say my life was hanging on by a thread. Oh. That's what my daughter would call a dad joke right there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, growing up was, um, I mean, when, you, when you're born with cerebral palsy, obviously you don't know the difference. I did spend a lot of time in the hospital first couple months. Uh, yeah. was in an incubator. Um, interestingly enough, 1973 was a key year because in the same hospital was when they started performing abortions. So I'm just thankful to be here because my parents mm-hmm. made the choice for, for life. You know, uh, growing up wheelchairs, lots of hours and surgeries at Shriners Hospital in San Francisco. Um, I can remember being in a wheelchair and racing my good buddy who was on a gurney down the hallway as we went to class together and uh, went to school at Shriners Hospital. That's when you know you're in the hospital a long time when Mm -hmm. you're actually going to school there. And, uh, you know, recesses were blood draws and x-rays and i found out later that wasn't that wasn't the normal experience you know but uh yeah the ch- my childhood was 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 uh was a uh, was very interesting and i will say this too that um i can remember an experience of lying in bed at, in, in the hospital bed and i was in a room with about 14 other beds and at night i'd hear you know uh kids crying and in pain from surgeries 
And I remember just missing my parents. They lived in Southern California. It's not like in those days you had a Ronald McDonald house next door. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to see him, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember just crying out to God, even at five years old. And, and one particular, and I remember just a presence. I don't know if it was Lord or if it was an angel, but just standing at the foot of my bed, you know, just being there. And I felt the presence was strong. And, and so I, I see suffering uh, as a perfect I see it a little different. I see it as a, well, I wrote a master's thesis once on how it's a gift from God. I see it as a gift mm. from God, but it's a lot about perspective, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. Yeah. So you did graduate work on a thesis that suffering was good for the human soul. And yeah. and what, what does that mean? What did you discover in your research and your writing? Well, it was from Philippians 129 that says that we have this, uh, privilege not only to believe in god i'm paraphrasing this is steve kramer version but also yeah. to suffer for him and so i i think that there is a certain um depth of joy that you can you, that you experience the suffering i'm not going to say that's the only time you experience it probably experience much greater depth of joy in in heaven but i know for me suffering has brought me close to the heart of god and one thing that I often will say, you know, there's a verse that says God is close to the brokenhearted. And if you if you yeah. want to get close to God, go to the brokenhearted. That's what I love about what we're doing in our ministry now. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was so, so uh, formative and transformational in my life to to have cerebral palsy. And and as you'll hear as this conversation goes on, I mean, the most beautiful things in my life came out of the most painful times. And I just think that that's how, you know, I heard uh, Nikki Gumbel say once, life is a, a series of battles and blessings, battles and blessings, like parallel tracks at the same time. And, and I've certainly found that to be true. So just roll out some of the blessings that have come out of suffering. I know there's a scripture verse that says we want to know God in the power of resurrection. That's great. But then it goes on to say the fellowship of suffering. And I think it's um, not a well uh, defined or even thought about idea. So I'd love to just hear how you have seen um, triumph come out of tragedy yeah. or good out, good out of uh, bad. Yeah. Great question. You must do this for a living. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I think it all started for me because I don't want to make it sound like it was just, you know, a cakewalk and all peaches, you know, and, and cream. Uh, when I was, you know, around 10, 11, 12, I remember because my parents had come back to the Lord, and, and, and they have a really fascinating story, too. They're married very young, ages 19 and 16. When mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at one year of age, they separated for almost a year. My dad was in the military in the Azores Islands. It's a group of islands in the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. He started swimming out in the ocean and thought, I'm just going to end it, drown himself. And as he's swimming, he begins to have memories of Sunday school teachers who would teach him and songs he sang and and turned around and really, I mean, changed the trajectory of my life. Um, mm -hmm. Trying to think exactly what your question, oh, I yeah. know what I was talking about here. Uh, so around 10, 11, 12, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to have a worldview and a biblical view that God can heal anytime. We mm -hmm. used to go to uh, healing crusades. And yeah. I would see, and I'd be in the front row because I was a cute little blonde kid, you know, and, and I got front row treatment all the time. So I thought that meant uh, guaranteed healing, right? So I'd see healings happen around people get up out of wheelchairs. And my dad uh, and mom used to tuck me in at night. But my dad, this one particular night, 
Uh, and it's funny thinking back on it because I had a waterbed back then. Does anybody remember a waterbed? I mean, that, that's what happened to those. They're probably probably dangerous or something. But in this waterbed, my my dad would uh, put night splints on my legs to keep my legs straight. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, Scott, I, I just had enough. I had seen enough healing uh, where I was really at a decision point, even in a young age. Am I going to get you know bitter about what I'm seeing, or am I going to try to understand what's going on here. So I remember asking my dad, I said, dad, if God is a healer and if God can heal, then why isn't he healing me? Why isn't he healing me? And, 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 you know, my dad had recently come back to the Lord. And I I think about that time and I think what a difficult question, you know, my son asked me questions like, should I get a uh, Sony PlayStation or an Xbox? You know, those are the kind of questions you hope to get. This is a diff- probably most difficult question you could be asked. And, you know, he, st- he stopped and he said, with little tears in his eyes, he said, you know, looking down at me, he said, Steve, I don't know. And, mm-hmm. and that was the first part of his answer. And I think that's really, when you talk about suffering, we mm-hmm. got to start with, I don't know. Yeah. That's the whole art of compassion. It's saying, hey, I don't have the words right now, but I'm going to embrace you. And, and. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's something I learned, you know, when you're married and your wife's maybe upset, it doesn't help all the time to try and bring some theological, let me read you my master's thesis on suffering. It's going to be, okay. yeah. no, you hold her, you know, and it's the same, same in life uh, when we bring compassion to others. But he said, I don't know, but he didn't just stop there because I think if you, if you stop there, that's, that's depressing. And that's not the hope that we have in Jesus. So he, he said, I don't know, but I but I know God is good, but God yeah. is good. And what I didn't realize at the time is that would start a journey for me that's um, would be 50 this summer. So it's been a 50 year journey of of discovering God's goodness. And like I said, many times it's come right after a really difficult situation. Um, I can think about uh you mind if I just talk? Like I, I'm just a talker. Do you want to do you want to guide this, or I can tell you, I can tell you story after story. But why don't you ask? I don't know if you want to ask another question. You're doing fine, Steve. This is really just for us to listen. And I know there's somebody listening that is either um, suffering themselves, or maybe they have a child. Mm-hmm. So just let me ask, like, what were things your parents did? to help you as you were surrounded by suffering. You talked about being in the hospital and hearing people. It's not just that you were suffering, you were surrounded by suffering. What did they do that was helpful in your life? I think that, uh, I think the one thing that would strike you about my childhood that's different than a lot of um, special needs families or or families with kids with disabilities uh, is that it was remarkably normal. It's remarkably normal. I, I remember, you know, uh, as a young age, my, my parents had a Triumph Spitfire convertible and I had a body cast up to my neck and they'd just prop me up in the back seat. You no know, bugs would be getting in my teeth, you know, and they'd take me camping and they'd lean me up against the tree and I, you know, I'd be roasting marshmallows, uh, things like that. And I look back on that with, with man, such great memories. I remember I, I love sports. And so we lived here in Bakersfield for part of my childhood and uh, where I'm at now. And my dad, you know, I was a Rams fan, so he would be throwing me the football to the end zone and I'd dive in the bushes and catch it. And the one thing my parents did is they just, they were normal. They acted normal. They just loved me for who I was. I remember after one uh, game-winning touchdown 
catch in the bushes of the backyard. I walked in with a big smile on my face, very proud of myself. And I told mm -hmm. my dad, I said, I'm going to be the first NFL player ever with cerebral palsy. And, you know, he could have said, nah, you know, get a grip, man. He just smiled. Never once crushed my dreams. Now, of course, life kind of brings reality check when I did the 40-yard yep. dash the next week in school. You know, I wasn't going to play in the NFL. Um, but, yeah, they were, just, they were normal. And I think that's one of the dangers is one of the dangers of suffering is we can easily slip into a victim mindset. Mm -hmm. And and that is the worst thing that can happen. And and I, I believe so much so that that I've really worked hard to put in my life uh, guardrails where I don't slip into feeling sorry for myself because I'm telling you. And I remember one time again around the time of being a teenager and you're struggling with is God good and you know what's my life all about. And I, and I just remember thinking, I can't be a victim because I, I, I realized even then, intuitive sense, that nobody wants to be around a victim, first of all. I probably wouldn't have many friends if I gave into the victim mindset, but also it wasn't going to get me very far in life, you know? And that really, that mindset was really instilled in me from my parents. My mom, um, uh, by the way, both my parents are still married, been married over 50 years now, and they adopted four special needs orphans from China wow. in their 60s. Wow. In the 60s. So they're still doing this stuff and, and seeing God redeem beautiful stories. But uh, my mom used to say to me, you know, I bring my report card home. It'd be all A's, one B. She goes, Steve, you can get straight A's. You know, you can get straight A's. And, and I always laugh because I think she must have fooled me because I went on to get a master's degree. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about a PhD, but I'm, I'm probably getting a little lazy in my older age, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think just just. Anybody who's, who's um, and the importance of family is, is so critical, a loving family. And some may be out there listening, saying, oh, I don't have a loving family. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's where a church family is so critical. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the turning point of our family's life, I would say, was in a small town in the middle of the Mojave Desert called Needles, California. If you've ever driven west or east, it's the hottest place in America a lot of times. My parents moved there. My dad worked for the railroad. And a church shows up at the door and says, hey, can we help your family move into your house? And that simple act of kindness and compassion just completely changed everything. They, they came back to the Lord. I accepted Christ soon after in the basement of Neil's Assembly of God there. And um, so I would say to anybody listening, you know, it, there's this idea out there that the Christian walk or the human experience can be lived alone. You know, if you're just mm -hmm. tough enough, you know. Um, you can do it. You can muscle through. And I don't think that's, yeah. I don't think that's the key, the key to life. I don't think the key to life is, is yeah, of course, perseverance and resiliency is very important. I think vulnerability, vulnerability is really the secret sauce for, a, for an abundant life. So you talked about, because you have an incredible positive energy. I've been around you. You actually lift people up, but you talked about having guardrails to keep your mindset right. What are those guardrails that kind of help you to keep positive when you have incredible challenges, mm. but those guardrails are keeping you go, your life moving forward? Yeah, I, I think that um, one of the things I've reflected a lot on this recently, but I, especially in my, with my role with, with CityServe, um, 
we're the national directors of the Vulnerable Initiative, and, and I'll give you a little backstory, but Pastor Wendell, who, by the way, was another pastor that when I was uh, 10 years old, uh, we moved to Bakersfield. He welcomed our family. The church was small, but they welcomed the special needs family in. I remember leaning on his arm as I got down in the baptismal big hug. Again, a pastor who loved me for who I, who I am, for who I was. And I would not be in the role I am today if it weren't for him. You know, obviously, co-founder of City Service is kind of a big deal. Uh, and so the one thing that I've seen, though, a progression in my life is this journey of um, being comfortable in my own shoes. And that may mm -hmm. sound funny, but I think we're all kind of on that journey. At least that's been my experience. And I, I was really motivated early in life to kind of prove that I didn't have cerebral palsy. So I went in uh, to broadcast journalism, became a mm -hmm. CBS, CBS, CBS News anchor reporter, which you can't tell by my uh, by my speaking, <laughs> evidently. But you know, I was I and I I remember one time going on a news story as a CBS news reporter. I finally arrived, you know, in my mind. I wasn't cocky, but I just didn't want to be labeled for that. You know, nobody mm -hmm. wants to be known for their right. their weakness. And I go out on this story and I'm walking up and I can already see because I have a limp and, you know, a, a, it's a noticeable gait, right? And so I'm walking up and this lady goes, oh, you're the intern. I said, no, I'm actually the reporter. And man, it really hit me. It was a gut punch because here I worked my whole life to, you know, be on the TV and, and make sure every angle was good. And, and here I go out on a story and she thinks I'm the intern because disability, you know, disabled people can't really accomplish that much was kind of the, you know, kind of the, uh, the thought there maybe, but, um, yeah, I think, I think being vulnerable, embracing who you are, um, and also being able to share that with others. Now, I, I think I see this sometimes on Facebook, people are vulnerable to the worldwide audience. And I think that's a dangerous thing to do, but I think if you, if you can find, people that really love you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, it's a practice I, I try to with, with dear friends is try to share some of my struggles as well as my victories, because I think that, um, especially when you're an optimistic person like me or an overcomer, you can almost, you can almost feel like that's why people love you. You know, Oh, you're an overcomer. What a great guy. And sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm not having the greatest of days, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's that's one of the most freeing things that I've found. Now, now you've been a, a minister, a pastor, a missionary overseas. You're doing a, a mission now, and you've referenced CityServe. Uh, just tell us what you do with CityServe. Uh, someone's listening that doesn't know what CityServe is. Maybe you can just unpack that, and then how you fit in to the mission of CityServe. Yeah. Boy, how to encapsulate CityServe in just a few seconds. But CityServe is a collaborative, uh, compassion network working in the U.S. and all around the world. And we have 10 compassionate initiatives. Boy, and I can get into all those, but, but ours is the vulnerable. And so quite often people will say, well, who are the vulnerable? I had this question from a pastor yesterday. And we consider the vulnerable special needs families, those with mental health challenges, at-risk youth, and pregnant mothers and the unborn. And a lot of people you know, might go, I don't know anybody with a disability, I also hear that. One in six people in the world are considered disabled. Mm. We all know about a mental health crisis. Um, you know, 48% of Americans will have a mental health crisis in their life, you know? 
And then of course, pregnant mothers and the unborn and at-risk youth, we know too. But our whole mission is to help the local church embrace the vulnerable in their communities. And so we have uh, scalable, that means you can uh, have a ministry model. We'll help you walk you through every step of it. We'll coach you through it. Ministry model that's scalable. So that's, it could be a church of 35 or 3,500 and also plug and play. And so last year, uh, and plug and play is, is a term, you know, you just plug it in and it goes. And last year I talked to a church up in the state of Washington, good sized church. And they said, I said, uh, when, when do you need special needs ministry? They said, uh, yesterday. <laughs> so within six weeks, mm -hmm. they were up and running and, uh, wow. man, God is really using them. You know, for example, if you have a, a special needs ministry in your town, in your city, you'll probably be the only one. I would say that it's probably 1% of churches in America um, have a special needs ministry, which is just amazing to me, you know, because I compare it to like, I have two blonde kids. If we go to a church and say, hey, you know, um, we go, we have two blonde kids and they say, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. We only serve brunettes and redheads here. Your kids, there's no place for them. You know, it's, it's unthinkable. And so it's been a real joy to see how God uh, is working and and of course you know mental health and all those areas so you help churches so i really want to just clearly explain maybe there's somebody listening and say man i'd like our church or maybe there's a pastor uh, how do people connect with you and the work you do with city serve so that you could help that local church um, touch the vulnerable people that are in their communities yeah absolutely well uh, I get, I don't know if I can get my email, my straight email is just Eve S Kramer at gmail.com. But we have in the links, we'll have our website with city serve. We'll have, I mean, people can call me up. I I'll tell you what, Scott, nothing, you know, I, I, I was blessed to be a sportscaster used to interview like Ken Griffey Jr. And all Alex Rodriguez, all these stars, you know, I've talked to politicians, but nothing gets me more excited than helping a church reach their community. And so I'd love to field any calls. And here's the other thing, and, and, and I'm going to share something. This might surprise you. It wasn't until I was 47 years old, I came to Bakersfield here to take this role. I had never seen a special needs ministry. In fact, I remember when Pastor Wendell, who co-founded CityServe, said, oh, you know, you'll be the vulnerable uh, initiative director. And I'm thinking, first of all, I was a little offended, like, don't call me vulnerable. <laughs> you know, but my mindset had to change. That's my journey. You know, but I'd never seen a special needs ministry in a church ever. And I had cerebral palsy, never saw one, you know. And so um, it can be kind of intimidating. And some people maybe even are a little bit nervous. And I was nervous to be around uh, autism. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to use the right terminology. Hey, listen, any uh, question is okay to ask. That's what I see myself. I see myself as a bridge to the you know, the special needs community calls typical and then non-typical. I, I, I see myself as a bridge between the two worlds. There's no question that's, uh, that's dumb. It's all, you know, it's all uh, important to ask. And, and so I can be a sounding board for that. So I hope in the show notes, we can put your uh, website, which is stevekramer.org, just mm -hmm. to connect. I'm sure there's a way to connect with yeah. you through that and maybe your uh, your email address and maybe even the link for CityServe's Vulnerable Initiative. Mm -hmm. um, because you, you, um, you know that the harvest field is basically untapped. Yeah. And... Um, 
your parents, with the help of God, did something beautiful to give us the gift we have talking today. Mm-hmm. They they loved you, they treated you, they encouraged you. They were an influence in your life. And now it's multiplied. That's what influencing is. Now that's multiplied because you've been overseas, you've been on television, and now you're in this particular seat to help churches, local churches, help people who are hurting and um, with the life challenges they face. So really happy to you've been with us today, man. Oh, really appreciate man. it. And please give our greetings to Julie and the kids. And uh, next time we are in California, I hope to see you again. Oh, yeah. um, but I would just say uh, to those listening, Steve is the real deal. And uh, he is a joy to be around and really an inspiration. And I thank God for the way God is using his life. It, it really is a 50. He's going to be 50 this summer, which he said is a 50-year miracle because when he was born, the doctors didn't give much hope. No. We serve a God of hope that comes into hopeless situations right. and turn things around. And Steve, right. I'm really glad he turned things around in right. your life. I bless you, man. Thanks for oh, being with you. us. Bless you too. And for all our friends, this has been the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young. Please keep being an influence where you are. Let the light come out of you to overcome darkness. Let hope come out of you to overcome hopelessness. And just make the world a better place. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.